Jesus Christ. So we can see a suffering for the gospel so that people and God's word may be fully known uh, to these people. We go to verse 26. It says, the mystery, if I can go back to the previous line, says, that from God that was given to me, this is, he became a minister according to the stewardship from God, that was given to me, uh, to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So what we see here is that this mystery was hidden for ages and generations, but now is revealed to his saints. We continue so that we can explain the text. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what does the word mystery means here? And in the New Testament, uh, it's simply something that was hidden in times past, but now has been revealed by God. Does that mean that it, uh, previously in the Old Testament, the gospel is a mystery in a sense that it was not known? Is that what it means? One thing we know for sure is this, that this mystery was prophesied in the Old Testament. But we do not see what? The incarnation of Christ becoming man, or God becoming man in the Old Testament. Because we know that the, the, uh, the, the prophets in the Old Testament prophesied of the coming Christ. People knew that there was someone who was coming. So we see that a mystery in the New Testament is simply something that was hidden in times past, but now has been revealed by God. That's what we look here, is that this mystery of this message, was it God's plan B to our salvation? It was not a plan B. It was not like uh, when God created Adam and Eve and they sinned, but uh, if, if they sin, I'm going to send a savior. This is not what a text implies to us. But what shows us something here is that God's or the gospel is not God's plan B to our salvation. It is something that he had done what? Planned before the foundations of the, of the earth. And it is good to explain that. We see a text that says, For truly in this city, that is Acts 4.27, For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the, uh, and the peoples of Israel, verse 26 says, to do whatever your hand and purpose predestined to do what? To occur. So it is not just a mystery that in a sense it was not planned before. God had a plan uh, for our salvation. So what we see now is mystery was something that was previously not revealed. So what we see, the Old Testament prophets were not able to see Jesus. But now the saints in the New Testament have been able to do what? To see him and uh, to know him as we see in this text. Why is it a mystery also? Who are the Gentiles in this text? Because we see Paul is writing to them, to the Gentiles. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles. The Gentiles were called what? Dogs. Dogs. They were alienated from God. They were enemies to God. They were not part of the commonwealth of what? Israel. These people were dogs. 
they were not considered important or in any need of what? Of salvation. But God extends this grace to such sinners who are not deserving. To you, is that a mystery? So it's not, on, it's not only a mystery in the sense that it was hidden for the ages past, but a mystery also that God would save dogs. Praise the Lord. He is saving who? Dogs, the Gentiles who are not part uh, of the family of God. What we see that to which for, was for the Jews is now extended to who? To the Gentiles. Now, I'm not going to read this text, but it's good to read Ephesians 2, 12 to 19, and Ephesians chapter 3, from verse 3 to 5. It talks about this mystery of the gospel. I want to go through that because that's not our focus for today. Ephesians 2, 12 to 19. Ephesians 2, 12 to 19. See how the Gentiles were alienated from God, and also enemies of God, and also Ephesians 3. Uh, 3 to 5. Or you can even read the book of Ephesians chapter 3, the whole of it. And you will see about, about the mystery. Uh, why then did God head to send Jesus to come and die for us? One, is because of who God is and because of who we are. That's why he had to come. One, is that God is what? Is holy and, and just. But on our side, we are what? Sinful. And we have all sinned against the Lord. But God expects or demands us to pay the debt for our sin. But this is the truth. We are unable to do what? To pay that debt. And because we are unable to pay that debt, someone perfect must pay that debt. And when God looks to us, None is found worthy to pay for that debt. What happens is that God sends Jesus. He sends his holy son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to pay that debt that we could not pay. So that now, these sinners, these Gentiles now, can be reconciled to who? To God. That is now what I may summarize as the gospel. That sinners who had rebelled against God and could not pay the debt for their sin, someone else came on their behalf and paid that debt on a cross. Does that sound to you as a mystery? Isn't that amazing? Uh, we sang, uh, I guess, uh, when you are practicing the song, and can it be? That, that God will die for us. That he would come and for people who deserve nothing, knowing that the soul that sinner will do what? Will surely die. But he comes, instead of that soul dying, what happens? Someone comes to die on our behalf. And this is the gospel, that calling of sinners to salvation. And now in this case, the Gentiles who are once what? Alienated from, from God. And we've been able to see that. So this is the mystery that Paul is proclaiming to the Gentiles. Though you are not part of the Jews, you have now been called. Come and drink from this cup of salvation. And that is what God is offering to sinners who don't deserve. Now, you are a Gentile. 
you are that gentle, you are that sinner. So when I'm preaching this, it's not like it is to the Colossians, it is to all of us here. That we must see ourselves as these Gentiles who have sinned against the Lord, have rebelled against the Lord, and we are on our way to what? Eternal damnation. The hope we have is this, that Christ has come. And this is the message that Paul is preaching to these people. That Christ in us is the hope of what? Is the hope of glory. So what does the Christ in us, the hope of glory, means? So it's also good that we, we define uh, that. What does it mean? Someone writes uh, and says about this text that the secret is simply this. Christ in you, yes, Christ in you, bringing with him the hope of all glorious beings to come. I will repeat that. That Christ in us the hope of glory means this way. That the secret is simply this. Christ in you, yes. Christ in you bringing with him the hope of all glorious things to come. That the fact that Christ lives in us, we have this great hope of the coming salvation. Do we have a coming salvation? We do. Are we saying? Yes, but we also have a, whole, a what? A coming salvation. But there is a salvation that is coming whereby we shall be redeemed from this sinful uh, uh, body. So the hope of glory is the fulfillment of God's promise to restore us and all creation. So he's going to do what? To restore us and all creation. He's going to do all this. This hope, if you go back to Colossians 1.5, where was this hope? This hope is laid up for us where? In, in heaven. That's what drove these people to live in faith and what? And in love. And therefore, we are looking forward to the day of resurrection and obtaining our eternal inheritance because God has qualified us to be heirs of this inheritance. It is God who has qualified us. And we are looking forward to that great day. This hope we shall see. What guarantees guarantee us of this hope? What is our sure hope that when this time comes, what we are looking towards is going to be seen by us? The Holy Spirit seals us for the day of redemption. And the Spirit's presence in our hearts guarantees us of our ultimate salvation. This is our what? A sure hope. Christ lives in us eternally. It is not just Christ in us, but Christ in us eternally. That the Spirit of Christ in us is our guarantee of our eternal inheritance that cannot fail. And it is already kept for us in, in heaven. So why did I put the Holy Spirit in this text? Christ said that when I go, I shall leave you with who? We have the Holy Spirit who indwells in us. And we cannot leave the work of the Holy Spirit in our walk and even as we look towards this great glory and hope of the coming Lord. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no guarantee. There is no sure hope that can be in, in us. So what we've been seeing in this text is how we have God who sends Jesus and have the Spirit 
who guarantees us of seeing this great hope. So see, the Trinity is even seen in these three uh, passages that we are reading. We have the Father who gives us the Son and the Spirit who guarantees us of this hope, on whom we are sealed. We go to verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Him we do what? We proclaim. Is it only proclaiming? No, it is also doing what? Warning. Warning who? Everyone. So we are not exempted from all these warnings. So it is Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone. Those three words are very important. Proclaim, warn, teach. And it is to who? To everyone. With what? All wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, what, what is to mature in Christ? Is maturity about uh, praying better and using the right words? So because you use the right words in prayer, is that maturity? Is, is it because you are so good at cross-referencing, taking this verse, taking it here and here, or you preach better? Is that maturity? Is it? Is maturity the fact that you always come to church always and you're doing all the readings and so on? Is that maturity? It's not maturity. And as we continue to read, we will see uh, what Paul means by uh, presenting everyone mature in Christ. Uh, the questions that we may ask ourselves to get the concept of mature is, has this gospel that you have believed been translated to a life of obedience to God? Because maturity will say, it is not about praying better and using the right words. Uh, or, or let's say, for example, choosing the most sound biblical songs. No, we may think that because we choose ours, we are very mature. And because we preach better, of course not. But the truth is this. You know we can talk and we can sing. But on the other side, are we obedient to him? Because what will prove that we, we are mature is a life of what? Obedience. What I'm saying here is not this. What marks the Christian mat uh, maturity is not perfection. Are we together? It is what? A life of transformation. Are you continually obeying God? Because you see, what we want to be presented is as mature people. Mature people in who? When you're talking about maturity, it's maturity in who? In Christ. We want Christ to be formed in us as we look forward to that, to that great uh, day and hope. When we look to your life, that's the first question. Do we see a life of obedience to God? A life of hatred? towards sin every day. That you are grieving over your sins. Do people, do people, you know, the, the people ask me question like this one. Do you see humility in you? That's not my question. My question is, do people see humility in you? Do people see humility in you? And can we call you a gracious pastor who is daily being conformed to the image of, of Christ? That is what we are growing towards. Growing towards knowing Christ that we may become like Him. I hope you are getting this. And you know what? 
It is this that the apostle is toiling for. What is he toiling for? What is he suffering for? He is suffering for what? To proclaim the mystery that had been hidden from ages and generations past. The mystery is Christ in us, the hope of glory. That he is also toiling to proclaim, warn everyone, teach everyone with all wisdom that may be presented mature in Christ. That's what he is toiling for. You see, that's what ministry is all about. And that was the ministry of Paul. Proclaiming the gospel, calling sinners to come and repent of their sins. And after they have repented their sins, that they will continue in repentance and live in a life that is worthy of the Lord and is worthy of the, of the call. That's what Paul is laboring. So you can look to a church, see what it preaches and say, is this a true ministry? That's the true nature of ministry. Doing what? What Paul is proclaiming here in what we have read. I love us 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So how does he labor? With all his energy, right? Yeah. How does he labor? Whose energy? Paul's energy? God's power. God's power. I like that. That though he is suffering, though he is toiling, laboring every day, of course he's writing this uh, letter while in prison, right? Mm -hmm. So he's suffering. Mm -hmm. And in prison, what do people do there? Do they enjoy life? Mm -hmm. enjoy life. Mm -hmm. The only thing they enjoy there is one thing. Proclaiming the gospel to their, those in jail. Mm -hmm. So th they also see the opportunity of being in jail as a ministry to do what? To proclaim Christ. But I like this. That he doesn't toil in his own energy. Mm -hmm. It says, for this verse 29, I toil, struggling. He's not only toiling, but there's also the aspect of what? Struggling. struggling with all, all his energy that he powerfully works within within. Isn't that a comfort to us? But even if we are suffering for the gospel, we are not doing that in our own power, but in all his power. So no one can say, I don't have the power the energy to preach the gospel. Why can't you say that? Because this power does not come from within us, it comes from Him. It is Him who strengthens me to do what? To toil and struggle, to proclaim, to warn, and to teach everyone, and to proclaim this mystery to sinners. Without this power, these sinners cannot see their sins and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Paul is proclaiming this message, his work is to do what? To solve the sin. Tell them, you are sinners, deserving the wrath of God and death. Jesus comes to die for our sins. And if you repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you turn away from your sins. If you cry out to him, if you come to him, you will be saved. That's what Paul is preaching. The other part for converting the sinner now to salvation, it is God's work. So even if he is toiling and struggling and all this, he knows that if the Lord is the one who will strengthen him to proclaim that, and that he will also turn sinners to salvation. That is the hope also we have when we are preaching the gospel. It is not that it is in our words. My words cannot at all save anyone. 
The gospel is a what? Is a means to call sinners to salvation. And it is God who does uh, all that work. We go back and see what Paul is called to do. He's called to proclaim a message. This is like a recap. He's called to do what? To proclaim a message. And as he's proclaiming this message, he's doing what? He's suffering. And he's toiling. And this message is this. That this mystery that was hidden for the ages past is also for the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And he is called to be a minister to the, to the Gentiles. That you sinners who don't deserve, you can come. You've all read the story of Mephibosheth, yeah? In the Old Testament. Where he was called by the King David to come and dine with the king. And when they asked him about a descendant of Jonathan, their response was not that good. It's like, yeah, don't think yet, but kuna kamutu mahali, kalikuwa kamebaki kiwete. And David says, go and call him. And when Mephibosheth comes, he reveals that I cannot die with the king. Look who I am. Now this is who we are. We are like Mephibosheth. But God calls us to die with him at his table. At his table of grace and mercy, we sinners can come. Because that's our greatest need in life. Our greatest need is what? Is to be saved from our sin because we are undeserving of that grace and that mercy. Is grace deserved? It is not deserved. Mephibosheth never deserved to come and dine with the king, but the king says he can come. Not that the king saw any worthiness in Mephibosheth, but because the king delighted in showing mercy and grace to that person. The same with God. That God has sent Jesus to come and die for the sins of the Gentiles. Not only the Gentiles, but all even for the Jews. And they can now come and die. So if you are here, and, and maybe you are not converted, the king always calls us to come. Come and die. Not that there is any worthiness in you. You deserve nothing, but come because I delight in showing mercy. Call on me, and you shall be saved. Maybe the lessons that maybe you can learn from that text. One is, if you are converted, let us be humbled by that mystery. Let us be humbled by the gospel, and let us remain there. You see, the goal of, of, of Colossians is, we want to stand in there, in that truth, is it? We want to stand in that foundation. What is that foundation? Christ is that foundation. That's where we want to stand. We have nothing to boast about in this life. Nothing at all. If you remember Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus and asks him what uh, he, shall, he can do to get to the kingdom of heaven, what did he tell him? You must be born again. You must do what? Be born again. As the Bible shows us an occurrence where Nicodemus was born again. Yes, if you read the book of John, it is Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, uh, it was Joseph of Arimathea who carried the body, lowered that body from the cross to the grave. What does that show us about Nicodemus? What does it show us about him? That he was converted. That he followed him who promised him that if you are born again, you will see the kingdom of heaven. So you can go and read that text in the book. And I plead to all of us that even as we are preaching to ourselves, we ensure that we are growing in Christ. 
let us grow in Christ. And we cannot grow in Christ without reading and studying and meditating on the scriptures to know what the gospel is. And I guess the biggest question that we should answer and like to always study on is this. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? When you wake up in the morning, what is the gospel? And when that becomes clear to you, everything in the Bible will start to make sense to you. Because in the Bible, I believe, I tend to believe, there is one message in the Bible, and that is the message of salvation, the story of salvation. That Adam who was created in sin, God has sent someone to come and redeem us. Praise the Lord. And if you are not converted, hear these words here. There is one deathbed repentance. Only one deathbed repentance. You remember the thief on the cross? Only one deathbed repentance recorded in the Bible. The thief on the cross. So that no one despairs. No one does what? Despairs. But there is only one so that none will presume. Only one deathbed repentance. Remember the thief on the cross. So that no one will despair. Will I really be saved? The Lord can save you if you will turn from your sin, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But on the other sense, it is also one. So that you will not assume. So that you will not presume. Therefore, God has promised forgiveness to your repentance. But he has not promised tomorrow to your procrastination. He has done what? He has promised forgiveness to your repentance. If you will repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. If you repent, God has promised forgiveness to that repentance. But he has not promised tomorrow to your procrastination. What does he say? Today, if you will hear. Today. Not tomorrow. When? Do not do what? Harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. I say that because the Bible calls us to examine ourselves. Does it call us to examine ourselves? I, I guess that is the most loving thing we can never remind ourselves. To examine ourselves to see if we are really in the, in the faith. To see if we believe in that mystery of that Christ in us is the hope of, of glory. That we shall see him. It is not outside of Christ. Praise the Lord. Amen. So the question you may ask is what? Then what can I do to be saved? What does the Bible respond to us? Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Good. We have seen that the goal of ministry is what? To proclaim Christ. To preach Christ. That's how a ministry uh, looks like. And that's how you should be looking for a child. So the goal of ministry is not just preaching, but also maturity. Are we together? We must be presented mature. And for us to be presented mature, it is not outside this ministry. It's not outside there. Praise the Lord. I hope that that helps. And that if you go home to your place, you rethink and see, do I really believe the gospel? Is what I believe the gospel? Do I believe in the right Jesus who saves me from my sin. Am I living a life of obedience now that I'm saved? It's a good question to ask ourselves. It's very important. And I believe now that's what Paul will help us to say. Now we can be presented mature. Praise the Lord. 
Can we pray? God, we want to thank you that you've always been gracious to us to remind us all of the God. It's an everyday we come here, Lord. We see it as a privilege, and not only a privilege, but undeserved privilege. Help us, gracious Lord, do not abandon us to our passions and pleasures and the love of the things of this world that we are tempted to hold so dear. Lord, help us to see that Christ is indeed enough. And blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, deserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith, for our salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And all the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are your judgments, how inscrutable your ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given him a gift to him, that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Dan, for preaching to us so clearly. We respond, John Charles Wesley, with. And can it be? Respond by singing, and can it be that we who are Gentiles?